0: specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: How can we help ourselves define what enough is? I have struggled with this question personally, along with many people that I care about and work with. So how would knowing the difference between an ideal and goals help us to answer this this question? Kim Butler, the founder of Prosperity Thinkers and an affiliate coach with Strategic Coach, elaborates on the financial and mental constructs we build to achieve the freedom we desire in our lives. Kim's money journey began on her farm, where she and her sister looked after their cows on a daily basis. This responsibility instilled in Kim a desire to take ownership of her life, a love for savings, and an entrepreneurial vision. Our conversation centers around two books written by strategic coach founder, Dan Sullivan, Who Not How and The Gap and The Gain. Both books identify how we need to reevaluate our personal and financial lives by understanding how our vision for our lives differs from the goals that we set. Our ideal life is like the horizon, always in the distance and something we strive to achieve, while our goals are the measurable actions we need to take to help us go in that direction. However, measuring our progress by looking backward and not forward is a key concept in helping us bridge the gap and live in the gain. Please enjoy my conversation with Kim Butler. Kim, um, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. I think the the best place for us to start is for you to give us a, a high-level view of your background, like what you do, the entrepreneur that you've become, and now the coach that you become. And that's how I was connected to you through Dan Sullivan's Strategic Coach Program. So why don't you start there and kind of give our, our audience a, a glimpse of who Kim Butler is?
1: Sure, happy to Paul and thanks for the ask cuz it is a joy to talk about the strategic coach program. I mean, I've been involved as a attendee for about 25 years, I think. I've coached for about 20 years and all during that time never missed a session. I, you know, we've gone virtual of course, but it's just absolutely a delight. But I will back up a little bit and go quickly. So um, the beginnings of my entrepreneurial career were truly in the fourth grade when my dad and mom got me a milk cow. We lived in Oregon. We had just bought, we moved actually from a five acre farm to a 40 acre farm. My parents were teachers and I don't even know why. I think you know somewhere my dad's written down or told me why, but the bottom line is, We got a cow. I started milking, started selling the milk because it was way more than our family could deal with. And so literally all through junior high and high school, I had a lot of money. I had a business. My sister ended up getting a cow. We sold milk to uh, mostly friends and family, but people paid a dollar a gallon for these huge mayonnaise jars full of milk and cream. I mean, it's shocking when you think about the quality and the quantity that was available for that price. So I earned enough money to put myself through a private college for four years. And because of having to literally run a business all that time, had an entrepreneurial bent from day one and got out of college uh, with an English degree, by the way. <laughs> so uh, that's, I think, why I have so many books on Amazon. And then I started to get involved in money right away. I started working at a bank. I started, and this is like late 80s. So, you know, no internet and banks didn't have the full service that they do today. So, after about three years at the bank, I wanted to serve clients in a more holistic way. So, got into the financial services business on the life insurance side primarily, but got my whole bunch of designations and licenses, which your community is certainly familiar with. And then as I progressed, I had a pretty big crisis of confidence about five years into my profession because I just didn't feel like what I was doing, and this is still pre-internet, was really serving my community the way that I wanted it to. So, I went into a deep dive of a bunch of research by just talking to people, again, pre-internet, right? So, I found out that a lot of my clients were practicing what I now call prosperity economics, and it was just a slightly different approach to their personal finances. So I just dove in. I wrote out seven principles of prosperity that I've literally dealt with ever since. Over time, I got connected to Robert Kiyosaki before he was even a known entity. He didn't even have a book at that time, and he and his wife, Kim, were a joy to work with. He Came into my practice about the same time the internet did. He started speaking. And so, literally within months of the internet coming online and, and a thing called uh, Placeware, which is like Zoom today, we just didn't have the cameras, it was a screen share. I started serving people nationwide, moved my office to my house. And not that there haven't been bumps in the road, because <laughs> of course there have. But I definitely can identify that point as I basically never looked back. So I help people in all 50 states with a a little different lens on the personal finance than I think a lot of practitioners. And I adore what I do. There is no way I could have the company that I do, the family life that I do, the structure that I do without strategic coach. I implement everything that I can. Um, which is frankly probably only about 50% of the program.
2: <laughs> it's a lot.
1: It is. It is. And, and, and
2: we'll get into some of the, the details of that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. No, that's
1: fine. I was just gonna say I'm super grateful for it. So that that's the summary.
2: All right. So I'm gonna take you back to the farm because I don't know how many people I'm sure my close friends that listen to the podcast know this, but I have an affinity for agriculture. So I grew up in a rural community um, here in Michigan. I had grandparents that that had a farm, and then I had my quasi family that lived on a dairy farm out in wisconsin so my my summers that I remember so fondly are me going to spend a week or more on a Wisconsin dairy farm uh, milking cows yep. so but I'm assuming you were milking by hand. I was helping milk by machine, correct?
1: (laughs) We milked by hand. My sister and I, I don't remember when they got her cow because she's three years younger than me. So I milked by hand by myself for three or four years, I believe. And then we milked two cows together, morning, night, Christmas, you know, (laughs) they don't stop.
2: They don't stop.
1: Um, We did get a machine like- Early high school. I mean, I, I milked cows by hand. I would win hand wrestling contests and stuff because my hands were so strong.
2: I'm sure. I'm sure. Cause uh, milking cows by hand is no joke. That is it, that's a workout for sure. So when you were, you said you were you were in fourth grade when you when this all started. When did it kind of click for you that hey, this is what I wanted do as far as being an, an entrepreneur? Um, I know you said you went to college, you got an a English degree, but somewhere along the line, something must have like flipped the switch and said, okay, Kim, this is what I want to do.
1: Yes. So having parents that were teachers, I had a very structured life and also the farm contributed to that, right? I mean, there was, oh, yeah. there was no spending nights at friend's house with rare exceptions. Vacation was literally one night a year. And yet that entrepreneurial environment was always there because not only did we have the milk cows, we drove our little tractor and hay mower and baler around other small farms and did that in the summer. I drove combine in the summer. So that had always been circling. And when I went to the bank, I loved my time at the bank for the first year, year and a half. Had I known the Colby profile, which you're very familiar with, yes, uh, K-O-L-B-E, for those that are not, Colby.com, best $55 you can spend in your entire life. Um, I probably would have made the transition quicker, but I felt so restricted at the bank. I absolutely felt like I was in a straitjacket all of the rules. And I was just at a branch of the bank. I, you know, I was dealing with checking accounts, loans, savings accounts, you know, a little bit in the trust department, but pretty basic stuff. Holy cow, were there a lot of rules. And so from there, I just realized I need to be in a a more free environment. So
2: one of the things that I think I want to get into, like kind of right away is how you found Strategic Coach and explain a little bit more about that. But before I go there, let me kind of give the audience a a lay of the land of like how I ended up finding you because Dan Sullivan, who was the founder of Strategic Coach, wrote a book this past year called Who, Not Why. And I read that over the... Who, Not How. Or Who, Not How. Yeah. Yeah. How did I mess that one? Who, Not How over the summer. And then I followed that up with another book that he wrote probably years ago, The gap and the gain, and you're holding it up right there, and that's what really turned me on to wanting to reach out to speak with with you on on these kind of two separate topics and and what I deal with personally with trying to define what enough is and helping my clients define what enough is. So with with that you know foundation set, let me pivot back to you, Kim, and have you explain how you came to strategic coach. And what it is, and then we'll kind of get into details behind those, those two books.
1: Well, it is a funny story because I got a cassette tape, so that tells you a little bit, of one of Dan's talks at the Million Dollar Roundtable, which is an organization for life insurance agents. I don't know how I got it. I was probably on some, I've always been into learning. I was driving around in my car a lot. I've always been into kind of university on wheels, you know, what we would call podcasts today.
2: (laughs) you were a front runner to some of these things, like screen sharing, you know, cassette, podcasts in your car, learning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that that is true. I You know, I appreciate that. Thank you. So um, I listened to that cassette tape. I called strategic coach, signed up, and paid for the first year and attended. And it, it's funny because in the strategic coach community, they kind of laugh because I didn't even have a salesperson attached to my record. Like I didn't need a sales uh, event to, to sign up and know. And I'll tell you what, what it was that Dan said, and that was breaking through the ceiling of complexity. And it's because, like any entrepreneur, I was trying to be all things to all people. You know, when we start out, we think that's the way to run a business, and it was killing me. And I was unhappy, and I, I just knew that I had to break through that ceiling of complexity. And so I got myself on a plane to Chicago. I didn't have children at the time, and I absolutely, I didn't even have Dan as a coach. Um, I was in one of the first groups that was handled by one of his associate coaches, a woman named Adrienne Duffy, who I love to death. And so I attended her first class. It was not even in, they didn't have a Chicago office at the time. It was in a hotel. And I absolutely am so, so grateful. I mean, some of the early concepts that were taught like gap and gain, and also the entrepreneurial time system of free day, focus day, and buffer day, and then, as you've indicated, this "who not how" book, uh, gap and gain, who not how, both available on Amazon, so instrumental in the way that I built my business and my life from that day forward.
2: So let's let's start with um, who not how, and what I what I would like to focus on with this, Kim, is I know that I have entrepreneurs that do listen to the show, but I know. A lot of people that listen are family oriented. And I'm wondering if you could talk, you know, high level about the concepts in in, in that book, but then how it really applies to, you know, a a parent, a family, like every day life, if you will.
1: Yes, yes. And it's one of the things that I think is so unique about Dan's thinking is though his clientele is specifically entrepreneurial and high level entrepreneurial. There are a couple, not a couple, I would say there's probably seven or eight concepts that he has landed on that drill all the way down seriously to a two-year-old. And so I love that they can truly be so family-oriented. So who not how is a line item of what most people think of as delegation. So even in a family, as we're well aware, a parent- essentially delegates things to a child. You know, it starts out, you know, clean your room, take out the garbage, eat properly at meals. So so not only like tasks, but also just a way of being. And as parents, we start to realize that our children have unique talents that they are going to grow up with and they are not hereditary. And so I'm kind of mixing in some of the Colby information because who not how tells us that To get anything done, if you will find the right who rather than focus on the how to get it done, you'll get so much better results. And in a family, you know, you you have the old adage opposites attract. So often the husband and the wife are opposite in how they get things done, not always, but often. And then in a family, you add in the children. And they too are going to have their own unique way of how they get things done. And so, especially as you get with the children up into the you know early high school and they're starting to be more involved as an adult, they're not an adult yet, but they're being involved in conversations and they're more capable with the tasks that they perform, et cetera, et cetera. The concept of really... Uh, Supporting that unique ability, and again, unique ability is is a term that Dan Sullivan uses and it coincides really well with the Colby information, supporting the uniqueness of that child in who they are and the natural talents, the God-given talents, if you'll let me use that language, that they bring to the table And so, when you elevate that into a business, which, frankly, running a household is a business, running a family is is a business, (laughs) when you elevate it into the business realm, you actually remove a lot of the negative aspects of delegation. When you can identify a who to get something done, that who, that person, Whose talent match the task, rather than having to identify how to get it done. And it doesn't matter what it is; you can take homework. I remember. I was just
2: going to say, can you give us an example? And I was thinking homework because, you know, I I feel very comfortable in teaching financial planning concepts to college kids, adults, seniors, if you will, that spectrum. But I I struggle with. With teaching my own kids about this and and i've even developed like a whole webinar on this that I just launched you know a few weeks ago on and one of the aspects of it is how to talk to your kids about money and it 's very difficult
1: well and it's because our society in America, and I think this is true in other countries as well, for whatever reason have decided that money is a taboo subject, which is a shame it yes. should be, it should be talked about and spoken of in the Earliest days, you know. Again, the two-year-old at the grocery store—that's when you start to talk about money. So the idea of who, not how, in homework is to get clear on how each individual person gets results. And again, Colby can be very, very valuable in this. And so, um, can I just sidetrack on Colby quickly? Yeah, go or, ahead. And what we're gonna here.
2: we're gonna have uh, for those listening. Obviously, we're gonna have. I'm gonna have a. a a long list of resources that are going to be in the show notes. So all this I'm going to link to. So
1: Okay. So having knowledge of Colby is a business tool. And like I said, it's $55, but it's the best marriage tool out there. And I cannot imagine raising children not knowing their Colby. So there's a Colby A, which is the $55 that you take about 20 minutes. It is not a personality profile. It identifies your God-given talents and how you get results. So it's
2: different than DISC because I'm sure a lot of people, I know like when back in my corporate career, you know, we'd always get these DISC profiles, um, you know, every so often. Myers-Briggs. Yeah, Myers-Briggs. Yep. Mm
1: -hmm. And those pieces of information are super valuable and you want the Colby profile because it identifies aspects of you as a human being that DISC and Myers-Briggs do not speak of. So the, the two together are super valuable. If you are about 16 and older, you can take the Colby A. If you're, I'm going to say fifth grade reading level up to about 16, then you want to take the Colby Y, which stands for youth. Colby A is for adult. And then if you are dealing with a child that's less than fifth grade reading level, which, you know, for some families, you got a fifth grade reading level when they're in second grade. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's not until seventh or eighth grade. So, um, there is also a Colby K for kids that can be taken for that younger set. And it's in that instance, the the human being, <laughs> the two, three, four, five, six, seven-year-old is not doing the taking. Um, it's done by parents, teachers, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe a close neighbor, grandparent, that kind of thing. Knowing that information is the ticket to harmonious family time. And good homework habits (laughs) because as an example, my daughter is what Colby would call an initiating follow-through. And this is a person don't think of follow-through as like, get it done. Think of follow-through as a system like ABCD, ABCD, ABCD every Mm -hmm. single time. I am not. And so when I sit down in front of, I remember this, like it was yesterday and my sweet daughter is now married and 24 (laughs) years old. Um, But she was probably... I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And she had a list of homework, probably a little younger than that, actually, because I think she had 10 homework items. They were math problems to do. And she got stuck on the fourth one. And I wanted her to go on, you know, skip it, go on, five, six, seven. uh -uh. (laughs) And uh, we started button heads immediately. And thankfully, I knew her Colby and backed off because I know that initiating follow-through Does things in order. If it is one, two, three to 10, it's one, two, three to 10, and there is no other way to do it. So that's an example. Um, Let me switch it around a little bit. If you have, here's a fun story. So uh, my husband, Todd Langford, who owns Truth Concepts Calculators, is a very structured mathematical, uh, numerical, Uh, you know, all things engineering kind of person. And um, his son is a initiating quick start in Colby language, which means he's a total jump in first, do the measuring, the checking it out, all that's later. Let's just start, let's go, let's move, let's do something. Those two were about ready to kill each other (laughs) in high school time. (laughs) And because of Colby, they were just both able to relax and see, okay, you do things this way. So this is who, not how again, right? Mm -hmm. Jake has a how about him that makes him who he is. Todd has a how about him that is very different from Jake's how and makes him who he is. And The key is knowing those differences and having language to express them. So that on the rare occasions when Todd needs Jake to not jump in first, but oh my gosh, please measure the field, check the tractor's oil, you know, whatever it is, pay attention to what's going on instead of just forward momentum. Jake can say, "Okay, this is one of those times when my natural talent of go 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 has to take just a little bit of a backseat, so that I don't break the tractor and make my dad really mad." <laughs> so
2: th- those those are great examples because I I I'm glad that you were able to to connect the two because you know it's. You know, with our unique petri dish of, of uh, triplets plus one, um, I get this question often. It's like, well, aren't they all the same? I'm like, it, it's how it, I always try to be really patient and not like just blur out somebody I'm like, no, they're like, they're each individual kids. And it's it's really unique because our triplets, the there's a girl, Madison, and our two boys are identicals. So it's really unique. And but i'm like they no they all have their own personality and you know i can really relate to how you uh, how you talked about your daughter because m- my madison is the same way so um so th- that's so when it comes to like the who not how um one of the things that i've been looking at thinking about when it comes to this is the the phrase um don't don't i, mean, I know i'm going to screw it up but don't step over um, dollars to pick up pennies. Right. And part of that relates to, okay, if I know that I'm not the like right person to help my, you know, child or me, my kids with homework, like I need to bring a tutor in or something like that. Yep. Yep. There's a cost to that, but then there's this almost immeasurable gain that you get from that. Right. It's not just dollars and cents.
1: Mm -mm. In fact, I would suggest that there's not a cost. There's an investment. And just like we learn in Strategic Coach, an investment in our team pays dividends in spades because you get a who that is good at what you are not. And your family life is no different. In fact, when I first started Strategic Coach, some of my first delegations and building of teams were done at the personal level not even in my business. So get this. I came from a bank, right? The right. first hire that I made personally not not at the business level was a bookkeeper for our and again, you know, this is pre-internet, a bookkeeper for our family because I didn't like keeping the checking account and, you know, trying to track the investments and the income. And I didn't want to do any of that. Personally. <laughs> so that who not how concept can absolutely be applied at the personal level, at the family level. And I want to address maybe families that are like, what are you talking about? I don't have money for that. Trade, right? Find a family that does have those skills and trade with them. Each individual person has so much to bring to the table. Define what that is. Get a group of people. Maybe it's one-to-one. Maybe it's a group of 10 and, and you're all trading kinds of things. Where The person that's good at the grocery store can do that. The person that's good at cooking can do that. The person that's good at cleaning can do that. The person that's good at books can do that. The person that's good at organizing parties can do that.
2: That's a really good point. I I, I never would have thought of that. I never would have thought of that. So that's that's a really excellent point. So let's pivot into the other book that, that we mentioned, The Gap and the Gain, and this is… This is the one I'm probably the most excited about, full disclosure, Kim, to talk to you about. Because it's something that, that I've struggled with myself for years. And because I struggle with it, it, it impacts you know my relationship with, with my wife, Teresa. Because sometimes it's really difficult to, to be married to an entrepreneur. <laughs> so part of it is this expectations of defining what enough is. And in working in my family office in, in the financial service community for so long, I've seen it in my families that I work with become an issue as well. Where um, it it's hard to really take a step back and and get some clarity and some structure around what is it that you really want and what what is enough, rather than just keep chasing and chasing. And so. That's when I when I when I got through the, the gap in the gain, it was like the light bulb went off. So can you kind of begin and walk us through some of the, the high-level concepts and then and then I'm sure that I'll have questions, you know, between then and then we can kind of narrow down into like how to measure properly and and really like how to figure out what is enough for you because it's different for everybody.
1: Absolutely. So the gap is the idea that there is a permanent, and I struggled this when I first learned it, a permanent difference between where you are and where you want to be. And the reason that there's a permanent gap there is us human beings always want more. I mean, thank goodness, right?
0: <laughs> right.
1: We, we exist on this earth to move forward and to create and, and to want more and to push boundaries and You know, some of us do it way more than others, but we're always looking for something called the ideal, which is a little bit like the horizon. And no matter how fast you run, walk, fly, you cannot get to the horizon. It keeps moving in front of you. And so it doesn't matter what you're working on in life. It can be increasing your health. It can be better business, better relationships, you know, you name it there's an ideal that you've got in your head, but that ideal shifts and changes and moves just like that horizon does. And so if you're always measuring yourself in the gap, which is the difference of where you are to where you want to be, you'll feel like you're always failing. You'll always feel behind. You'll feel frustrated. You'll feel like you're not enough. Like you don't have enough. You aren't enough. You're not doing enough. And that does not enable you to be a good parent, a good business owner, a good partner to a spouse, or anybody else in your life because you're in a position of yuckness. I think one
2: so. Of, so, if I can interrupt for a second, I, I want to be clear because this is this is what was striking to me is there's a difference between what an ideal is and what a goal is. Can you? Elaborate on the, th- those are two distinct things, ideal and goal.
1: Yes. Ideal is like visioneering. It's kind of out there, it's not super specific. And a goal is somewhere in the middle because it's specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and with a time frame, right? That's smart, yep, smart acronym goal.
2: Yep, exactly.
1: We, we use about goals. And, and goals should be one to two years out there, you know, maybe three to five, but not in today's world. Um, whereas the ideal is more like a vision. It's, and I love the term visioneering. And, and I think goal setting and visioneering are both valuable. Visioneering is when you get your head way up and you're really looking out there 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Goal setting is for the next one to two to three years.
2: And so so I think a I think example that actually Dan gives in the book is, or maybe I've read this in some of the summary notes, is I want to get in the best shape of my life. That's an ideal. Yep. A goal is I'm going to work out three times a week for 30 minutes each time. I'm not going, I'm only gonna eat fast food once a week. (laughs) I'm gonna, you know, you know, watch what I eat, make certain meals or whatever. Those are Those are the goals that support the ideal. Yeah. Okay.
1: So set your goals, get clear on your vision. You know, there's nothing wrong with thinking about the ideal. It's very inspiring to us. And then measure backwards. So instead of measuring yourself between where you are and where you want to be, Take a moment to shift that focus backwards and measure the progress that you've made. It might be since yesterday. It might be since an hour ago. It might be since 10 years ago. It might be since you were born. Measure the progress that you've made. Measure backwards because when you do that, you feel more confident, more capable. More like you've achieved something because you have, and consequently, you are a better human being in all of your relationships and more able to bring to the table the unique talents and skills that you have because you have measured backwards and you have helped your family measure backwards and your business partners and people with their finances and all of the other things that we love to measure in life. And it, it's difficult, I think, for people that are visionaries. They're you know, very forward-thinking people. Like, you know, on Mondays, I don't want to talk about the weekend. I'm about the week ahead. And yet, I've learned to, even if it's just for a moment, turn and measure backwards about the progress that I have made rather than measuring forwards.
2: And I think that's the one element of the book that I really struggled with. Um, this whole measuring backwards and I remember having to reread and reread and reread until finally I think the light bulb finally went off because you know, as Dan put it in the book, your ideals, that vision, that horizon is is constantly out in front of you like you're you're never going to reach it and that I think that was the other key point is that again, I think it strikes that that very Unique difference between what the ideal or vision is and what the goal is. Um, you know, a goal can be achieved. Your ideal, you know, state vision is always something you're striving to um, improve upon, but yet you'll never reach. And I think that was a a game changer for me, knowing that okay, I there I got to realize that there are it's, it's it's a distinct distance between the two and to understand which one which is which is which and what ser- what purpose they serve
1: yeah i remember being really bothered what do you mean i can't achieve ideal of course i can and yet in time when i really thought about the definition and i got clear that ideals were there to inspire us and that they were moving all the time then i was able to realize okay now i get that difference
2: and I think that's the other key part is ideals... I, I, I don't know what your take on this is. So I'll, I'll, I'll say it like this. Ideals are meant to be able to, be, are, are meant to, be able to change, correct? Just like, yes, like I absolutely. tell my, my families that come on board and we put together their first wealth management plan. And I tell them, I can guarantee you that this plan is wrong. I don't yep. know how you know what direction it's wrong or how long it'll take to be wrong, but things will change. life transitions will happen to all of us, and that's you know in the year that that we've had the show now, that's been one of the i think fundamental um, fundamentally cool things about this show and how it's turned out is all the life transitions the feedback that I get from from our listeners is that. I love the stories that people share about their own personal life transitions and it helps them feel like they're not alone whether it's nice. you know going through a divorce or you know getting laid off or fired from a job or you know struggles with kids at home struggling with a wife you know wife spouse partners at home and relationships it's just I don't I think people and I tell families this all the time we sorely underestimate the amount of life transitions that we that we go through on a, on a more frequent basis.
1: And more and more and more and more frequent, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people didn't deal with that, but we do now at an insane pace.
2: So I think to, to come back to that, I want to make sure I look at my notes. So I didn't, I didn't miss anything. So when we come back to now that we have this picture, the horizon, our ideals and and goals. How do we bring that back, Kim, to like the center of how do we use this to help us define what enough is?
1: So I believe the term financial freedom, because since you and I are both in the financial space, a lot of the times when we work with the concept of enough, it's monetarily. And I'll address some other things, but clearly. Though money isn't everything in our lives, money affects everything in our lives. So I believe the concept of financial freedom is a mental construct, a lot like gap and gain are mental constructs, a lot like the game of baseball. You know, you and I are recording this in the midst of uh, preparatory games for World Series.
2: Oh, don't bring that up because I'm a big Red Sox fan and we took a beating last night.
1: Sorry. <laughs> but uh, holy cow, is that not evidence that things are mental? And you know, 20 years ago, people were like, "Yeah, that's woo, woo, and not anymore. People are realizing how much of our lives are mental. So this, in my opinion, this concept of financial freedom that would basically answer the question, "How much is enough?" is a mental construct because... We are, in most cases, and there's clearly some families where this is an exception, we are probably never going to actually have enough dollars to do this thing that has only been in our society about a 100 years called retirement. (laughs) With the landscape and the lens that our society puts on that definition right now, which is usually do nothing. And not only do I think that doing nothing is a horrible disservice to humanity.
2: Completely agree. Completely agree.
1: Thank you. I also believe that doing nothing is extremely detrimental to the person because we know now that it's not good for you mentally, physically, socially, emotionally, psychologically, physiologically. I mean, how many other ly <laughs> words can I come up with uh, under the definition of the typical retirement. So, and this is what I love about the entrepreneurial time system from Dan Sullivan's strategic coach program, which can apply to retirees in my opinion in spades, like in the best match ever. Because if, and I don't want to get super sidetracked on that, but if you just apply and you can look it up, Entrepreneurial Time System, Dan Sullivan, um, just apply that thinking to the days of a retiree. It's so, so valuable because we were put on this earth to serve. And if you go back to biblical references, there was certainly nothing called retirement in, in the typical sense. So, if retirement to you is, is two or three or four days of work a week, that's awesome. And now circling back to how much is enough and that question, that can help us have mental financial freedom. Mental financial freedom freedom, is different than uh, measured uh, dollar financial freedom. because. Measured dollar financial freedom would say, I have enough to live the rest of my life and not worry about earning an income. And yes, there are some families that can pull that off, but it's pretty rare because we are, you and I in our mid 50s, you know, 40s, whatever, are going to live another 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And because we know that work is serving and serving is good, we're given two hands, one to serve ourselves, one to serve others then that is mental financial freedom because I know that I can always serve and earn money with that service. And so I can be financially free today mentally, even if I'm not numerically. And I believe that that helps answer that question, how much is enough? Because I don't care how fancy of a computer system software program or app you have and believe me I feel like I have some fancy ones too it's all based on assumptions and so for us to have an app or a calculator that says well if this then that and that that calculation numerically proves financial freedom you said it so well that thing needs to go in the garbage can Today. And what's so much more important is to get mental financial freedom that helps us answer the question, how much is enough? And if we're measuring backwards with the progress that we've made, i.e., I saved more money, i.e., I moved an asset from sitting to where it creates income, if we are measuring things like that, then we can stay out of the gap and it will help us get clear on the difference between mental financial freedom, answering the question, how much is enough versus numerically answering the question, how much is enough?
2: I don't know if I could have put that any more eloquently or beautifully, uh, Kim. That was incredible because it—it kind I, I tie this back in the work that I do with my family office um, clients is this concept that I use with them is I call it hybrid, a hybrid retirement plan. It's like, you may really hate your current career, yeah. but let's just say, you can say I'm 50 years old. I'm not, I'm 45, but I'm 50 years old and you know I, I got to get out of here by 60. I can only do this for 10 more years. And my conversation is, well, what are you going to do then? Yeah. What are you, you going to do then? It's not like you're just going to be able to sit and do nothing. Um, your spouse will li- probably literally kill you. And that's actually one concern that I have when, when when my older families get closer to retirement, their kids are gone. What happens to that relationship? Again, another monumental life transition that most people don't think about. And I try to have them start talk- having those conversations now. I'm even having that conversation now with Teresa. We're in our you know, mid to late 40s. Like, what are we going to do? We need to make sure that we have a healthy relationship now, so we have a healthy relationship in the future when our lives really change. Right. But this this whole concept of hybrid retirement plan to me is start thinking about what you would like to do and call, whatever you want to call it, the next chapter, the next act, whatever, where you're doing something that feels good. Like yes, mm-hmm. it's work, but it doesn't necessarily feel like work. And you can do that for you know, a considerable amount of time and still make your financial life work with your mental life. Because I'm sure as you you know worked in this this industry as well and, and and I have like I've really stressed to 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 the people that I talk to and work with, both family friends, that I think there's been this concept where your financial life is different than your personal life. And they're not now they're they are not now they they are Messy together and you cannot unseparate the two, but you have to find a way to, and I don't want to use the word balance because life is never in balance. Right. It's it's blend. Yeah. And so it's having them work together mm-hmm. to get you to where that ideal state and vision is by working towards your goals and measuring backwards. So pulling really that all well together. Said.
1: Really well said.
2: So, Kim, I know that I only have you for a finite period of time. So, I want to I wanna get to, we, we've talked a lot about resources. And so, I'm going to link to a bunch of these in the show notes. But are there any other resources that you would want the, the listeners to know about?
1: Well, we made a special page for you and your community on our website.
2: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> so, it's prosperity Thinkers dot com forward slash paul. Prosperity com forward slash Paul. And there's lots of goodies on there. And clearly anybody that comes from your community needs to go right back to you for anything financial. But they may enjoy because I do have a wicked amount of content available. I know <laughs> you may, do. <laughs> they may enjoy pursuing some of that. And Thankfully, uh, because of an awesome team, I've been able to create over time things that people can read, listen, and watch because I believe that we learn typically in one of those three ways, sometimes a combined, and sometimes people really need to get their hands on things. But if you learn best by reading or listening or watching, I have material in all of those modes. And so... Have at it. I mean, it's all there, prosperitythinkers.com forward slash Paul.
2: Awesome. So that'll definitely be in in the show notes. So, my closing question that I ask all of my guests is what is the best thing about being a parent?
1: The joy of seeing another human being grow and develop talent. And as you said so well, whether somebody has triplets or just two kids that are not, it is so amazing to see the differences and to help those develop. And with it, learn about yourself. I always am sad when I meet a couple that has not had children, and it's more common these days because I think they have a tendency to become super selfish and being a parent forces you to not be selfish, and it forces you to learn and keep learning and to stay young. And you know, then you get the grandparent, and I'm not a grandparent yet, but uh, you get the grandparent and the great-grandparent thing going. And oh my gosh, what an, what a gift to witness the growth and the development and be able to be in a position. Uh, the last book that we wrote. Um, as in most recent, not last forever because we're already working on the next (laughs) one, um, is called Perpetual Wealth. And that whole idea of wealth is more than money to pass on. And you as an individual, each person listening to this, have such gifts and talents and values and wisdom to pass on. And so I want to help more people do that. And that is the best thing about being a parent is having like a built-in audience to pass on your wisdom and gifts and talents.
2: Well, Kim, that is a fantastic response. And I think uh, a fitting way to to wrap up our conversation. Uh, Kim, I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And I'm sure that we're going to have many more conversations to come.
0: Thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.